0: This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 12. We start off in verse 1 all the way to 19. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, "'Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting.'" When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, "'You are out of your mind,' but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, "'It is his angel.'" But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened, what had become of Peter, And after Harold searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there.
1: Well, I want to start out this morning by giving you some hope. Hope is a really powerful thing and uh, the right way to start out a new year, Uh, because without hope. Uh, you can become desperate, you can become discouraged, you can become depressed. But with hope, you can face even some tough circumstances with joy and belief. So I'm going to start by telling you a story of Anna. Anna was a, a young woman who on February fourteenth, two 2020, discovered uh, that her parents had died in a house fire. And she got the call, and normally, like once a week, her parents were in her 80s, so once a week she would go up, she'd travel, she'd see her parents. And as she drove up there, she would listen to worship music. She knew the Lord, loved the Lord. And, but this call came, and this trip to go see her parents was tough. And so she just turned the volume down on her radio and made the drive. I mean, we've been there, walking through a house right after a fire, and it's hard to see and it was tough for Anna to look and see the blackened walls, to smell the smoke lingering in the air, and to realize her parents were gone. So she, she ran out of the house. She got into her car. She just sat there, and she just was praying. She was like, Lord, I need you. God, show up. God, I need hope right now. I need hope. And she noticed that the radio was still on, but the volume was turned down. So Anna reached down, and she turned the volume up, and this song was on, Living Hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You've broken every chain There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. How good is God to meet her in that moment with that song at that time, one of the darkest times you can imagine, but her parents knew Jesus. And because of what Christ has done, even in that dark moment, she could have hope. I'm sure you face some dark moments. It kind of feels dark right now, doesn't it? I want to encourage you, always, always, always have hope because God is at work. We're in the book of Acts, and this is the story of the church moving forward. And here we got this story of Herod and what's going on, and man, it feels dark for the church. But then God shows up and does what's incredible and wins at the end of the day because God always wins. So here's what I want you to write down and own this morning, and that is even in the darkest of times, we will not give up. We being the church now, even the darkest times, we will not give up because our God is at work. I want you to start out this year with hope and excitement going into the year, regardless of the dark time that you're walking in. So I'm going to pray real quick and ask God to help us with that. So Father, thank you so much for your incredible love. Thank you for this story. And as we dive in and talk about it, God, I pray that you'd be glorified. You'd help us to understand what the text is saying, why it's there, and how it applies to our life. And we'll give you the praise for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you five truths in the form of a sentence that will help us really live out this idea of in dark times, we're going to keep moving forward. So five truths are going to form a sentence for us. And I'm going to start out this way. God sometimes allows de- darkness. God sometimes allows deep darkness. We see it in several places here in the text. We see it, first of all, in the death of James. You see this in verse number one of the text. It says this. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, this James is you know James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder. These were some of the first disciples of Jesus. So they'd walked with Jesus a very long time. They were apostles of Jesus. And this is one of the main leaders dying in the church. God took one of the main leaders. Now, in the first service, I said, this isn't a red shirt, but Captain Kirk, and they didn't get that illustration. So uh, maybe, you you know, in Star Trek, where the guy in the red shirt's always the guy that died, and and the, the main characters never died. Well, this is now one of the main guys. This is Kirk. This is a leader dying. If that wasn't bad enough, Peter's captured. Let's take a look at this together. Here's verse number three. And when he saw, this is Herod now, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. I'm going to pause there for a moment just to show you this. This is actually uh, just free and extra. But do you see where it says there, because he saw it pleased the Jews? How many evils have been done because people want the applause of other people? How much wickedness has happened because we just think that that's what people want to see? A lot of young people right now getting caught up in the LGBTQ plus community and the whole thing there, and it's a hard thing for people to walk through, and I understand that, but I think a lot of them are getting caught up in it because it's a new and cool and accepted thing to do. So they kind of get lost in that shuffle. But all that to say, look, in your life and in my life, let's just, let's just watch carefully like what we're doing and how often we're doing it for the applause of other people. Now, that was extra. Let's keep reading in the text. I want you to look at verse number four. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering, watch, delivering him over four squads of soldiers to guard him. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. By the word, that word kept there probably means he was kept for several weeks, if not months, in prison. So is a long time that he's held in prison. And then you look at it, it talks about how there were four, guard, four squads. A squad is four soldiers. Okay? So four times four is. Good job on the math, guys. Way to go. Sixteen soldiers. So probably it looks something like this. I did this drawing, and, and and just so you know, if if you want me to do drawings for you, I will. I will do that. You can hang them in your living room. It's it's awesome. But this is what it looked like. Okay. So here's Peter. He's chained to two guys, and there are two guys at the door. Now what they would do is rotate in a fresh four, you know, regularly. So there's always fresh guards, well rested, guarding Peter. Well, then you had the prison uh, door and the prison walls, and then outside of that, you had this big iron gate and. and This is where Peter is imprisoned. So he's really, really in prison. He's really, really locked away. And I want you to put yourself in that moment with Peter. Listen, don't just read the Bible. Smell the Bible. Feel the Bible. This is real. This really actually happened. And Peter sat and he smelled the mold on the walls and the filth surrounding him in that prison. And he felt the cold, hard chains on his hand and the hard rocks beneath him, the hard prison floor beneath them. And he sensed the eyes of these guards watching over him carefully. And Peter remembered James was just here. James experienced the same thing it's dark. It feels hopeless. Are you okay with the fact that sometimes God allows deep darkness? See, there's all this wise in. Church today and in Christendom today, that just kind of says if you have enough faith and you can be wealthy and you can be healthy, and it's your faith that's the problem. So, we had enough faith, and everything's going to go good for you. And I just want to tell you that even the faithful sometimes find themselves in deep darkness, and it's hard. Like back on my life, and there have been several times of deep darkness. We were seniors in college, and Courtney and I—we're married. We got married between our sophomore and junior year, and and then we were expecting our first child, and we were going to graduate in June. And we were so excited about that. And in late December, we of two thousand and and was it three? No, it was. No, I'm not looking for a date. Uh, yeah, Ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So late December, you are know, right, January, early January of 99. So, man, that was years ago now. But uh, we sat in this, we went to a, um ultrasound, and the doctor was looking for, the, or the technician was looking for, the heartbeat of the baby and couldn't find it. And then we had to wait and go to the emergency room because that's where the doctor was. And we went, and he confirmed that the baby had passed in the womb late term. And Courtney had to deliver And in that hospital room was, I mean, it was a listen. It was a dark, dark time. I mean, listen, standing and watching across the street, our house burned to the ground, and everything we own is there. And who knows when life's going to get back to normal again? And just seeing it all go up in smoke, literally, is dark, dark times. And if you don't have the right theology underneath you in those moments, it can lead to some pretty deep despair. Who do you really believe your God is? Who do you know him to be from your study of the word, from what you believe and what you've heard and what you've compared to what the word of God says? Because if what you've heard all along is, well, if you're just having a faith, then these things don't happen. Well, that's not what the Bible says. God allows dark times. And what is the right response to that? I mean, how should Christians respond to that kind of darkness? There's a lot of confusion about this. I mean, look, the Bible does say in Romans 8, 28, and I believe it. And we know that for those who love God, all things, ready with me, all things work together for good, right? So it all works together for good. Come on, it all works together for good. So buck up, put on a happy face. Yeah, is that true? Absolutely it's true. But God's word also has things like this in Psalm 13, where it says this: "How long, O oh Lord? Will you forgive me forever." How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The Bible says this in Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How about Psalm 6:3? My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Do you know these were worship songs they sang? Songs of saying God, where are you? And didn't they know that God was good? Didn't they know that God was going to work it out for their good? Of course they knew that. But they were they felt safe enough with their God that they could be honest and real with God in a moment to say God, I know you're good, but it doesn't feel that way right now. And I'm going to be honest and real but what my heart is experiencing right now. And I think a right response in times of darkness is to lament and to not pass over it flippantly and just get right to, okay, I'm better now. But to have that moment, that time of weeping and praying and crying and being real with God with how you feel. Do you know the Bible says that he is a sympathetic high priest? that he will meet you with, yes, I know, and I love you still. And I'm saying, when we do that and we do that well, we can get to the, okay, God, I I know you're good. It doesn't feel that way right now, but I'm going to trust you again. But I'm going to trust you again, and I'm going to move forward believing in you again. Because that's exactly what the church does. You're building the sentence. I want you to write this down first. Sometimes God allows deep darkness. And I want you, Redemption Bible Church, to have the theology that says it's okay that God allows deep darkness. It doesn't mean that you messed up. It doesn't mean, of course, you always mess up. We always mess up. And God's always gracious. God's always good. And so we just trust him. And sometimes the deep darkness is all, it's all from his loving hand. But then this, but the church still prays. Sometimes God allows deep darkness, but here's what the church does. The church still prays. And let let your eyes fall on verse number five here, verse number five of the text. Interesting to note, again, this is some time here. So Peter was kept in prison. And and again, the structure of that sentence in the original language gives the idea that there was some time allotted here. But what, what, what does the church do? But... Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer was made for him um, to God by the church. Uh, a couple of things about this incredible prayer that we see. First of all, do you know it's faith-driven prayer, faith-driven prayer? Because come on, they were just here. This just happened. D- do you think that when Peter or James was in prison, the church didn't also pray for James? Of course they prayed for James. You know, some commentators said that, well, the difference between James and Peter is that the church prayed for Peter, they didn't pray for James, and uh, hogwash. Of course they did. Look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is clear. They prayed all the time. Yes, they prayed for James too. So why in the world then does God allow Peter to get out but not James? Why does he do that? Well, I have the theological answer to that question for you, and it's this. I have no idea. Because sometimes God just does what is good and is right. And we have to trust him that it's good and it's right, even though it may be different than what we would have. Do you know, everyone do this. Come on, do this with me. You're finite. Say, I am finite. Tell your neighbor, you're finite. God, do this. Come on, do it with me. Do this. It's fun to have our hand actions like back in you know, kindergarten, say, God is infinite. <laughs> right. We're finite. God is infinite. He is infinite. We know so little, He knows so much. Nebuchadnezzar understood that, and he said this, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, El Elyon, the highest of high, and praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom, his kingdom, God's kingdom, endorsed from generation to generation. It says this, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as Nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to, stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Our God will do what he will do. And we trust him. So, so you need some really good theology behind you. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in town. His name is Phil. Would you pray for Phil and pray for his wife, Kimberly? They're good, good people. And uh, uh, truth be told, Phil and I were playing X-Wing together, okay? The little Star Wars ships. And uh, we had a blast, so shut up, okay? So we were playing that together this week, and, but he was telling me about what he's walking through right now. His five-year-old daughter has had several kinds of cancer, five years old. And my heart's breaking for him. And we prayed together. And he said, Jamie, one of the, the only thing that's keeping me, like, firm here is my theology. Theology matters. And I think there are several things you've got to know about God in those times. Here's one. He still hears and answers your prayers. He still hears and answers. But I prayed, and he didn't this time, and this time he did. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he does. Okay, he is a God who hears your prayers. Why do you believe that? Because the Bible says it. Jeremiah 33, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and hidden things that you do not know. We call on God, believing always. He hears our prayers all the way through Scripture. We're told to pray and to believe and to pray and to believe. And because he told me, I'm going to do it. But I'm also going to recognize, number two, he's always sovereign over me. (laughs) So his will be done, not mine. Heard that someplace. Maybe Jesus. But that's all got to be settled on the foundation of number three. Listen, he is always loving. Do you know this? He can be nothing but perfect love to you. So what do I do? I prayed for this person to be healed, and they were. Then I prayed for this person to be healed, and they weren't. I trust my God. I pray again. I believe in his love again. Faith-driven prayer, in fact, also this earnest prayer, earnest prayer. The word earnest in the original language, it says in the text, again, verse number five, an earnest prayer was made, it says, by the church. Uh, the idea of earnest is uh you 've laid long in it that 's the idea you 've stretched out yourself for a long time you know it 's like i 'm reaching for something i 'm going to keep reaching and keep reaching and keep reaching for a long time. So the idea is they labored in prayer and they lingered in prayer. they prayed together a long 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 time and let 's just be honest that 's really hard to do especially in our culture, in our day. Isn't that tough to do? Like, find a time to you really just just pray for a long time. And then praying for a long time is hard. Do you find that to be true in your own life? Maybe it's just me. But, you know, you're praying for this, and all of a sudden you're thinking about Pop-Tarts. You're like, well, how did I get the Pop-Tarts? Like, I was just praying for somebody. and My mind's just And I mean, Come on, I got to get on this and pray and linger and, and get on it again and try again. And and it's tough to pray for a long time. It's tough to pray together for a long time. And when we do that in a service sometimes, you know, like, hey, pray with your neighbor and we give you guys, you know, we we'll look at our watch. I'm gonna give them two minutes and you guys are like, two minutes. Come on, we'll let the pastor go up here and close this thing down again. You know, it's just, it's not what we do. There's something powerful about doing it and doing it and doing it. We, we get close to this in our prayer and praise nights so and I wanna encourage you to look for these in the coming year, prayer and praise nights normally happen like on a Saturday night, and we'll gather together. We'll have some songs of praise, but the most thing we're doing is just praying together. and We'll pray in groups. We'll pray silently uh, alone. We'll have several ways of praying, and we just spend you know, time in prayer, and those are powerful, man. We did that back in 2018, and so many people had prayed for church building, church building, church building. Well, what did God give us in 2019? A church building, by the way. <laughs> So God hears and answers our prayer. Then I want you to acknowledge this as well. So faith-driven prayer, earnest prayer, but also this together prayer, together prayer. It said the prayer was made by the church. Uh, Church in the Greek means, it's ekklesia, it means called out assembly. So called out assembly, it means that they were assembling together. They were gathering. Now, in this uh, circumstance, Church of Jerusalem was huge. It was thousands of people big. Remember Pentecost? So Church of Jerusalem was massive. But what they were doing is they were gathering in groups all over the city. So later on, Peter comes to the house of Mary, uh, John Mark's mother. And there's many gathered there. It's probably a small group of people praying. And I think it's a good idea for small groups to gather and pray. Can I get a witness? Yeah, yeah, there we go. All right. But there's this thing power. This is, this is, this is what it means by fellowship. I mean, we, we get the, we're kind of lost in this society today. And I want to just kind of encourage us again back to the importance of the church body really living out. Godly Christian Fellowship, koinonia, when we're gathering together for the same mission, giving ourselves to that mission, to that calling, and we're doing it collectively together, believing God again hears our prayers and does something, I mean, something amazing that happen there. In fact, in John Piper's message on this text, he entitled the message Explosive Fellowship. And here's why. He explains it here. He says, can you... Um, Feel why I read the book of Acts and become disenchanted with fellowship as usual. Uh, we're beyond all controversy here over whether signs and wonders are done by the apostles. In other words, this text isn't dealing with, do signs happen today? Do signs not happen today? It's not that. We're talking here about ordinary Christians who meet together with such expectancy and fervency of prayer and vision or desperation that the spirit is poured out and people are added to the church daily and witness is bold and missionaries are called and sent, and prison doors are opened. This is not apostolic vindication. This is just Christian fellowship, explosive Christian fellowship. How awesome is that? The church showing up and the church praying. And I believe this. I believe this with all my heart, that if we gather and we cry out to God and we labor and we linger in prayer, do you believe this? God can do great things through Redemption Bible Church. Because it happens in the text, finish our sentence or keep going our sentence, God sometimes allows deep darkness, but the church still prays, and God shows up. This text is interesting. What's fun about this text, it's it's kind of a dark text, right? I mean, dark times, dark. And yet uh, Luke, the author, sprinkles in some humor along the way. And there's some humor here in uh, verse number seven. I want you to look at this with me. Verse number seven says this. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. So where's the angel of the Lord? Right next to Peter, okay? And a light shone in the cell. The idea there, the light shone, is like it brightly filled the cell up. And where was Peter? Still sleeping. (laughs) He was still sleeping. Could you imagine that? A big bright light showed up, and Peter's like still snoozing. And so the text says this. Uh, he, you see, he struck Peter. That word "struck" is actually like a <clears throat> like a hard hit. <laughs> it's like a powerful striking of Peter. So it's not like um, I don't know how you were. My, I grew up with my dad. My dad uh, raised me, and whenever my dad was getting me up for school in the morning, he'd be so sweet about it. Jamie, he's from Kentucky. Jamie boy, it's time to get up. Time to get up, son. It's exactly what he said every morning. All my life, Jamie, son, time to get up, son, time to get up. And he would just come, maybe tap me a little bit, and, you know, it's not that. It's the mornings when my big brother was getting up. <laughs> get up, butthead, time for school. <laughs> it's the best more of what was going on here in the text. The angel kind of struck Peter to wake him up. It's kind of funny. Uh, But then what happens next is the miraculous. The miraculous happens. Look at the text. Chains fall. Prison doors are open. Gates swing out on their own. And God again does the miraculous again. So again, right theology underneath us, okay? Right theology underneath us. Can God do the miraculous today? Please say yes. Does he do the miraculous today? I believe he does. Maybe you'd say, well, I haven't seen it. And I grew up with a theology that kind of taught that God's kind of done with the miraculous. And the longer I've been at this Christian game, the more I've seen the miraculous. And I would say the word of God really attests to the fact that even today, I believe the church should be praying for God to show up with signs and miracles so that his word can go forward. I believe the primary way he's communicated that is through his word. Can I get a witness? But I still believe God can work miracles and does work miracles. I believe it. Maybe one of the reasons why we're not seeing it as much is because we're not asking for it. The Bible does say you do not have because you do not ask, James 4, 2. But I wonder if we're not like Peter in the text, because this is interesting. Look what happens with Peter here. And look at verse number 9 in the text. We're just walking through this text together. Verse number 9, and he went out and he followed him, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And then later, until he looks back and says, oh, that was an angel. That was God at work and all that time. And there's just been, I don't know, there's been times in my life where I can look back and say the same thing. Again, in the moment, I didn't necessarily realize God was doing a miracle, but later I'll look back and I can say, oh, that was God at work. Grant was little. Grant was probably, I don't know, uh, one and a half, 18 months or so, and he was just learning to walk. And... And uh, Courtney and I were in the doctor's office with Grant. We had a fantastic doctor, uh, Dr. Bergstrand, and, uh back in Minnesota. And Grant was, you know, toddling around. It was the summertime, so Courtney had her shorts on. We all had shorts on. Even in Minnesota, you know, for a month and a half it gets warm. So uh, they were, so the babe was walking around, Grant was walking around. And the doctor was, you know, checking him out, taking his time. And he actually closed out the appointment and left. And then he turned right back around and came back into the room because he had seen a spot on Courtney's leg, he said, "You know, there's a spot on your leg, and I don't like what I'm seeing. We need to get that removed." So Courtney was like, "Ah, okay, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it." So we, we kind of went home, and then that week there was this a TV program about melanoma on TV, and so that's a TV program, didn't they? Like I'm eighty. There was a TV show that was on, program on the little TV, but. Uh, This was back when, like, you just watched and whatever came on. You didn't have to pick, you know, and stream it all. But this just came on, and it was a story about melanoma. And so we're like, "Um, okay, maybe we should get it checked out. So sure enough, we did. And sure enough, it was malignant melanoma. Now, we can look back and we can say, that's just coincidence. Or we can look back and say, how incredible our God is that he put all the events in the right order at the right time so that that would be discovered, so my wife's life would be saved. And I have several situations I could share that are just like, oh, that's God, oh, that's God, oh, that's God. I'm just saying God shows up, God shows up. Do you believe it? It's not always easy to believe, though, is it? Because here's the next point. God sometimes allows deep darkness but the church still prays, and God shows up, and the church doubts. Why are you saying that point, Pastor? That's kind of a weird point. Well, you try to write sermons, but other than that, I want you to see what it actually says in the text. Check this out now. This is, this is another one of those funny moments. Uh, verse number 12, and when he realized this, he went out of the house, to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, whose uh, other name was Mark, uh, where they were gathered together and were praying. And he knocked at the door at the gateway, and a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered. <laughs> Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gates, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And Peter's like, hello. Uh, then, verse number 15, then they said to her, What did they say to her? Oh, God has answered our prayer. Of course, He's there. We've been praying for this. No, they say, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and they kept praying. As they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they were amazed. Uh, so, yeah, why weren't you expecting this? This is what you were praying for. But they weren't expecting it. And yet God showed up. did not that contradictory? Didn't you just tell us, like... They prayed with faith-driven prayer, faith-driven prayer. They did. I believe it. It was faith-driven. I mean, come on. James dies, and they still pray for Peter. That's faith to believe God's going to show up again and do it again, but this time differently. That's faith. But how much faith? How deep was their faith? Whatever it was, we know this. It wasn't perfect faith. But God doesn't need our faith to be perfect to work. How much faith is needed? Well, Jesus answered that question here in Matthew 17, verse 20. He said to them, because of your little faith. See, they tried to cast out demons. They couldn't do it. And Jesus did it. They said, why couldn't we do it? And he said, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. How much faith does it take? It takes only a little. And I'm so thankful that's in the Bible, aren't you? Anyone here with perfect faith? Like you never doubt, you always pray, you never doubt. I mean, come on, you all live the same life. And like I've said before, I prayed for so-and-so to be healed, and they were, and then so-and-so, and they weren't. And now i got to pray again, and where's my faith, and what do I believe? Well, I'm more often like that father. In Mark chapter 9, who had this interaction with, with Jesus, Uh, He's explaining about his son who was demon-possessed, and he says this, and the demon, it uh, has often cast him into the fire and cast him in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for those who believe, for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, would you read it with me? I believe, help my unbelief, because that's often how I am. I have faith, but often not perfect faith. And yet God hears. And yet God answers. He is such a compassionate, loving high priest, such a compassionate Savior to say, trust me even a little, and I will still do great things. Because here's how it ends. God sometimes allows deep darkness, and the church still prays, And God still shows up, and the church doubts, but through it all, come on, church, but through it all, God wins. And I want to show this to you in the text. Now verse number 16. But when Peter continued to knock, when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But he motioned to them with his hand to be silent. And he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then they departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went from Judea to Caesarea to spend some time there. He needed a little me time after all of that, by the way. But you see this happening. It's just kind of funny. In verse number 17, Peter's like, listen, guys, listen. I want to tell you what God did. I want to describe for you the miracle that God just worked for me because it was incredible. Now, no. Why did Herod Killed James. And why did Herod put Peter in prison? Well, he did it because he wanted to please the Jews. And what did the Jews want? The Jews wanted the church stopped. This whole Jesus thing has got to stop. And so he tries by killing its leaders, by imprisoning Peter, but has God stopped? No. What the enemy intended for evil? God takes it around and he makes it for good. And now the church, not only are they not stopped, they have this amazing story to tell. Look what God did. Look what God did. And, and Peter says, go tell it. Tell the story. I was just reading my devotions this morning, and, and it was all about how you proclaim the goodness of the God. You tell of his greatness. And church, we need to be that. Man, Has God shown up in your life? Come on now. Has God shown up in your life, done incredible, amazing things? and Tell other people about it. Spread the fame of his name. God will take I want you to have hope. I want you to know if you feel like you're in the midst of darkness, would you know that God shows up and delivers, and when he does, you'll have a story to tell of his deliverance. God's fame is spread. Then write this down as well. God leaders are our, our position. God's leaders are positioned. Because he says this. Um, into verse number 17, he says, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Now, um, important to note there, he, he, he's not talking about the James that died, obviously. like he, he, wasn't, he wasn't unaware that James had passed, but he knew he had. This is not James, the son of Zebedee. Uh, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. It's a different James. And this James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, we see later in the book of Acts. Acts, this is one of the the new leaders that are rising up after the apostles to continue the work of the church. It's so cool that when one of God's leaders dies, when one James dies, the next James is there to take his place. God's work is not solely dependent upon human leadership. Now, God chooses to use leaders, human leaders, that baffles me. But time and time again throughout Scripture, you see, this guy dies, fine, next. Moses dies, and then there's Joshua. Elijah dies, and Elisha picks up the mantle. And as a leader in the church, I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> there was a time in my life when I wanted to be the guy who lived the legacy and was the guy that was known. And God's killed that in me, and he's killing that in me. I, I think I've heard this someplace before. I forget exactly where, and I couldn't find it. But you know, today, the Christian leader should stand up, speak up, shut up, and die. And the next guy steps into place. And the next guy steps into place. And I get wanting to leave a legacy, like I want my children to love the Lord, and I want to invest in them so they will love the Lord, and their children will love the Lord, and their children will love the Lord. I want that. But, But do you see how leaving a legacy can become kind of an idol? How many guys are I mean, God sometimes chooses to let guys be known. You got Spurgeon, you got Moody, you got Jonathan Edwards, you got some guys in our day. But do you know how many hundreds of thousands of pastors have pastored unknown? And it's good. And it's right. Because I don't need men to know. I have this promise. Peter, later, when talking to pastors, says this when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. First Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That means one day I'm going to stand before Jesus myself, and I just want to hear from him, from him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Don't care what men say. Just give me Jesus and his love and his approval, and I want to do it for him, be driven by that and that alone. But here's God saying, take away a leader. I got another one. Take away a leader. I got more. Nothing is going to stop. And then you have this: the enemy is confounded. You see in the text, Herod gets up the next day. They're amazed at the fact that Peter's not. Of course they were. They had sixteen dudes looking after Peter. He's gone, and they're amazed. And Herod needs to go away have a little bit of me time to figure things out again. He's confounded. But the enemy does not win. Church, listen to me. The enemy does not win. Matthew 16, Jesus promises, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, the rock of himself, the rock of Jesus, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It feels dark, but the church wins. I'm going to say it with me. Say it with me. The church wins. Say it with me. Go on. The church wins. Through Jesus Christ and his work, the church wins. That means even though in Fort Wayne things can seem dark, God can still use Redemption Bible Church to impact and attack the gates of hell. Can I get a witness? God can use our church to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior. God can use our church to see prison doors open and chains fall, chains of addiction, chains of depression, through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. God can do great things through our church, and he will do great things to our church if we cry at him and pray and trust him, and with our little weak faith, come and say, God, use us, do great things through us. So listen, even in the darkest of times, we will not give up because God is at work. And that's what I want to fire you up with, give you hope for in the coming year, that our God would be glorified in what we do. With me on that? Let's do this. Let's just pray together and ask him to do it. So, Father, we come to you. Would you give give us these incredible stories, these amazing stories in your word that are so faith-building. It's just real. Your word is real. And there are times when you're doing things that we don't get, and it seems dark. And we don't know because we're finite how you work. But God, we trust you again. We get our theology underneath us to say you are a sovereign God. You are a loving God. You're a wise God. And so we trust you. Do what you will do. But God, we pray that you will work for your glory through us. Use our church to bring the light of Jesus to the darkness of our city. And do it all for your name and that alone we ask. Amen. Thank you, redemption. You are loved.